Hello and welcome. Season four, episode 14 of Duelist Unity. I am recognizing more clearly that there's nothing that's ever going to get me to a state of freedom. No amount of practices or requirements or to-do lists or, you know, really, really anything that is going to make me more free than the letting go of each and every single one of those things that I always thought was going to be the thing that got me to freedom. And I really try very hard not to be biased because I'm aware of how easy it is to be biased because your ego always wants to validate whatever it is it has attached to. And it will always tell you there's a good reason. It's important. It's not like anything else. Don't you worry. It always sounds that way. And so it's very important to be aware of that. This is the reason that I don't peddle anything as a whole. I try to give everything I can for free. I will never tell you you need one thing or another thing or another thing because quite frankly, I've worked very hard to get away from that need myself. And I will never ever tell you that you need a particular practice or that you need a particular philosophy in order to recognize freedom because it comes down to one genuine recognition that you are not what you think you are. And that's it. And that can happen anywhere under any circumstances. It is possible for all of us, like an ever-present miracle. It does not require a particular path because it is always a possibility here and now. But if you are attached to a particular practice or philosophy, you will deny that. You may rationalize it. Oh yeah, no, abs absolutely. Because otherwise it would sound terrible to your ego. But a perfect example of this would be meditation. Meditation is a hell of a tool. It's a great experience. It's not a silver bullet. And it's certainly not necessary. As I said, the only thing that really is necessary is you and your willingness to recognize that you are not what you think, which means your willingness to question your false certainty. That becomes the experience of meditation. You don't have to sit down. You don't have to be quiet. You don't have to sit in a certain position or listen to a certain type of music. You don't have to do anything except recognize uncertainty, embrace uncertainty, and allow your potential to unfold. But, if you just happen to teach meditation, you are going to say meditation is necessary because you're biased. And you can avoid that for as long as you would like. But the real question is, do you feel you need to meditate in order to be free and clear and insightful? And if your answer is yes, that's the problem. Meditation has actually disempowered you rather than empowered you. It's not to say it's not a useful tool, but like anything else, it can become an addiction and a crutch. And that is all I had to say about that. Now on to this episode, which I have been stoked about for three weeks now, because it involves one of our community members, one of our most insightful community members, as she is always volunteering little bits of philosophy, little bits of insight, little bits of experience. We're very excited to have her here. Her name is Alexandra. Anybody who has been in our Patreon groups knows her well. Uh, I'm not going to go on and on and on about her. I'm going to instead just 
introduce her and allow her to tell us a little bit about herself and a little bit about how she found the community, possibly. Ahoy. <laughs> how do I start? Uh, thank you for my intro. So many compliments. Um, you're lying, but, uh, but I like it. Um, I have no idea who I am. Biped. I walk on two legs. Um, mammal. <laughs> No, I stopped being a fuckwit. Um, yeah, so my name's Alexandra and I am from Australia and um, I guess I could go off other people's feedback for an idea of who I am. Um, my dad often says I'm too brave uh, <laughs> and um, my sister says what I lack in talent I make up for an enthusiasm. Um, I'd say... I don't myself the queen of trivia. I'm a, I'm a slut for a pithy, useless fact, which um, if anyone knows me from the Patreon community or from a previous roundtable, I have a plethora of useless information in here. Um, I wouldn't say it's useless. Yeah. <laughs> what is useless? If only not useful at a certain time. But, um, yeah, God. I shouldn't take this so seriously, should I? But I'm like, I have no idea how to answer that question. That's perfect, actually. And we're going to keep this going. Understand, all of this is going to go in the episode. And it's because your hesitation is, I think, the reason that we wanted to have you on the show. It's so funny that the reason you're struggling with this is exactly the reason that we were interested in talking to you. And so I'm actually rather glad that your introduction started this way, because that hesitation allows for so much insight as a person. It allows you to, I guess, explore more of yourself rather than constantly putting yourself in a box. And although you you consider what you know to be useless trivia, I wouldn't say that that's the case by any means because it's always appropriate to what we're talking about. But it's never about you being more important for having that trivia, right? That's, what, that's what's funny about it is that you would perceive it as useless trivia because you have a preference for self-deprecation in order to keep yourself humble, right? And that's great. It allows you to communicate things without people feeling intimidated by you whatsoever, right? But on the other hand, it has a cost in that you're, you're almost sinking yourself below the line where you'd be fine, where you're on the ground floor, and you don't necessarily need to do that because what you're saying is valuable because you've removed yourself. So you can remove yourself a little less and still have that efficacy? Called out, shit. I don't know if you can tell how red my face is going right now. <laughs> um, no, I think to be perfectly honest, the reason why I self-deprecate so much is one, because I think it's quite, um, it's quite popular in Australia. Um, and two, because um, there's this great part to a, um, a Childish Gambino song of his um Kawaii EP, I think it came out 2015. Oh, no, 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 sorry, it's not that. It's um, the end of camp. And he is talking about self-deprecation on the bus where he introduces himself to a girl and then she shuts him down and then he goes on to say that, you know, if I make fun of me, then you can't make fun of me because I already said it, so it's not news. Um, and that is at the, um, I think that is, that is the pinnacle of my self-deprecation is if I tell you I'm shit, then you can't hold me to a higher standard because um, it's scary to try and fail. It's really fucking scary to put yourself out there 
And that's why I find it so funny and so uh, not inaccurate, but inadequate when my dad says you're too brave, because in some respects, I lack impulse control. Um, I, I think I'm missing the, the fear button, but, um, and I'll throw myself into anything and I won't walk before I run. I'll run, break my legs, you know, nurse my wounds and then go, what was the lesson there? And so in that sense, yeah, I'm a little too brave. And, um, and Paul Kelly's written a song about me and it's um, called Dumb Things. <laughs> if you don't know it, you should check it out. <laughs> but in in terms of actually doing enough, executive function is fine, but in terms of being enough, petrified, chronically. So fucking scared to try and be enough and fail. So if I shit on myself, you can't. That is, that is what is underneath all of that. It's not just dragging myself down for humility's sake it's um I'm terrified of how much I could be that if I if I hold myself back then no one else can exactly it's a defense mechanism there's some quote that I'm trying to think of right now that I can't it's like we're not uh afraid of failure we're we're afraid of being powerful beyond measure or something but yeah it's very much a defense mechanism and I totally resonate with you Alexander because I come from a similar side of having an idea of yourself being a fear based and and fear of being perceived in a certain way and and it it stemmed always for me from a lack of confidence and so it's and I still have certain things like I was talking about um on one of our calls earlier today about how I was getting uh one of my friends uh she's in LA and I'm going to be traveling around there. So I'm trying to get connected with like podcast hosts and just get on some podcasts. And so she connected me with her friend and um, we were going back and forth, figuring out a, a schedule, uh, figure out a time to schedule the the call and whatnot. And I said like, okay, yeah, sounds great. Like we'll, we'll keep in touch if you're interested in doing this or something like that. I finished it with that. And my friend was like, Andrew, don't ever say if you're interested, like, that because this girl is she is not to say she has you know less going on or or she she's going to see you in a way and she's going to really appreciate having you on the podcast and you're seeing it as like she's doing you a favor or something and that's me having you know not wanting to make assumptions is how i justify it but really it's because if i were to be like looking forward to scheduling it and and have that like air of confidence it's that comes with for me sometimes a fear of you know if it doesn't work out then that's i had put myself out there and i think it's like making an assumption but really it's just having the confidence in it going well because then it's like a buffer because then if it doesn't go well it's like okay but it's like you wanted me on here it wasn't that i was pushing myself so hard and selling myself so hard so that's always been where I've come from is I've always had a very uh, big difficulty in selling myself out of fear of, you know, it not working out because of, because of my past and because of things I've been through and kind of the way I always saw myself. But, you know, having that as much as, you know, you're letting go of the idea of yourself and we all are doing so that's still very much clinging to an idea of yourself in, in a way, because it's still you as opposed to, dropping that and just stepping into it because there's a difference between dropping the idea of yourself and still clinging to a perception and and a sort of 
fear that comes from you being perceived in a certain way and dropping it and not giving a fuck how it's going to be perceived. Like it's, it's kind of a subtle difference unless you're aware of it, but there's definitely a big difference in that. And it's not to say they're even that far from each other, but there is something there and there's still, you know, the last sort of legs of a perception of yourself that, that, we cling to. Um, and I see, you know, those sorts of self-deprecating acts or, you know, uh, you know, if, if you're interested, something like that as very much a defense mechanism. And I, I go through the same sort of things. Cause you're not, you don't want to fully put yourself into it out of fear of, you know, how, how it's going to be taken by them. I think I've only propounded that with my, with my studies. I, uh, I, I completely resonate with that, by the way. And it's so funny because you you let go of this idea of yourself and you realize that you are just potential realized. So you let go of this idea of who you are in past performance, each of inkling future performance, or rather all the labels that are attached to you as a person. And yet you still hold on to this semblance of control because you're like this qualifying sentence, this little, this little statement, this prose will somehow catch my fall. And yet what for what outcome are you saving yourself from what is the best possible outcome of this you know full well it's so funny and I catch my I'm not exempt from this I don't say you as in you I'm speaking extemporaneously when I say it's like I have no fucking idea where I'm ever going to end up or how it's going to land and I have survived 100% of my worst days and yet here I am still trying to put out like a safety net or like keep the the training wheels on my bike and it's like cut those fuckers off you're wasting your own time I get it though. I get it and I'm not exempt and what I was saying before was that I think the uh the profession that I work in it's it's paramount that everything you say is correct in substance and in form and so I have become the queen of qualifying statements and you'll see all my prose is wrapped with like uh liability limiting uh, <laughs> uh, clauses let's say um, and it's fucking frustrating uh, Thomas Edison once said there's no rules here we're trying to achieve something um, whilst he was trying to invent the light bulb and I and I love it and yet I've simultaneously <laughs> probably denied myself that opportunity by pursuing the paths that I've taken but I, the only potential freedom is to just fly in the face of that of that prohibition of that inhibition and uh, I think something that I really, really, really love about um, the time I spent listening to you two and participating in the Patreon and is that um, I just don't have to fucking do that. I just, I don't have to be scared and I don't have to be right all the time and I don't always have to have the right words because um, that is that is my cross to bear. Like I, I would consider myself a a wordsmith and it's my Achilles heel. And I'm so grateful to participate in this conversation because it's un it's undoing this whopping great knot that I've spun myself into. Absolutely. Because it comes down to the recognition that the you that you are so concerned about isn't you. It's the idea of you. It has nothing to do with the reality of you whatsoever. And and we don't we don't get that at first. That's what I was saying at the beginning. It really is just about that recognition that the person you're thinking about isn't who you are, that all of the fears you're trying to cope with are only real to that fiction. 
And while you're identifying with the fiction, they're real to you. Aside from that, it just comes down to sensitivity. Like what I enjoy about your industry, and by that industry, I'm talking about the legal industry, the legal profession as a whole, is the fact that the show you put on doesn't matter. It comes down to the fact. It comes down to what is at the end of the day. And that's what I enjoy about the language in that, because it's not, well, you know, they did this and they did this and this and this. Can you prove it? Are you willing to swear that under oath? Is it the actual truth? There's no bullshit in it whatsoever. And I honestly, I try to communicate that way with everyone sticking to what is rather than my opinion of what is my pandering or anything like that. And so in that way, yeah, although it can be restrictive, it's also an excellent teacher in what needs to be said versus what does not, what holds weight versus what does not. Um, so I enjoy that about it. And this is, I think the reason I talk or I speak the way that I do in terms of just being straightforward and, and matter of fact, because I, I don't see the point in messing around. We might as well just get down to brass tacks. What are the facts? Exactly what are we trying to talk about? But I want to circle around for a second because what I'm talking about is the insight that you're not what you think. Now you've spent time meditating. As you said, you've learned a lot of things over your life, obviously from our conversations together. Do you think meditation itself can fix anything on its own outside of maybe reducing stress? Do you think that it is a quick silver bullet to the insight that you're not what you think, or do you think that it could quite easily be used to reinforce what you think you are? It's, yeah, doctors hate her. One simple trick, meditate, all your problems solved now and forever. <laughs> the ultimate meditation is death. Like, you know, if you want to hit pause on your life and you want to avoid all pain and stress and suffering and, and, and experience, then yeah, meditate. That's your solution. And it is, it's, it's, a it's, <laughs> sorry. I'm, I, uh, I don't give a fuck about meditation. I've tried it. I really have. I did it for about a year in 2019 in a bid to escape from my brain. And it did that. But to, to meditate, to actively sit in that process of letting things go by and not jumping on anything, to sit, to literally physically sit still, I'm not, I'm not speaking about the, the mindset behind it of not attaching yourself to a thought, but, um, and this is really, frankly, my own personal business model of what meditation is. Feel free to jump in and tell me that I'm, I've interpreted it incorrectly. But um, to, to sit on the sidelines of your life and go, I'm not going to jump on any single thought that passes and um, nothing is real and careful contemplation is the way to avoid suffering, go for it, but it's shit. And yeah, again, you're on the sidelines, like sub me in, dude. I, I, get, I get one game. This is not a dress rehearsal. So I stopped doing it about a year later. And I think at best now I'll resort to breathing exercises. I considered, you know, box breathing, for instance, if I'm having an anxiety attack. Uh, and that's about it because meditating is like trying to pin the tide to the shore with a stake. Like it's going to keep coming in and out. You may as well learn how to swim or at least surf. Fucking have fun with it. And tell me nothing. There's no better feeling than when something goes so fucking horribly wrong and you have the courage to, to sit through it, be that, you know, you're able to surf through it or you just get dumped over and over and over. And then once the water stills again, 
and you come out and you blow whatever's out your nose and you that is that is pure bliss that is pure fucking bliss and that is solely informed by how terrible things were prior and we've had this chat in the past and the first round table you guys opened up to the patreon where your understanding of what joy and happiness and excitement is and love is is wholly informed by how much pain you've experienced so to try and like sit out from that whole thing fuck that fake news i i loved everything you said about sitting on the sidelines like i've I spent a good three years meditating every single morning and I don't anymore. Oh, here and there I will maybe like once a month, I'll just sit there or, you know, before bed, I'm basically meditating because I'm just dropping into, you know, the infiniteness of my imagination and reality and kind of soaring around and flying around with that. But I, uh, sometimes I'll wake up and wonder if, oh, should I, you know, meditate this morning? Then it's like, yeah, I have other shit I'd rather do. And at this point, I'm just like, and anything I'm struggling with, I'm just thinking about myself. So I could just stop thinking about myself and then just go do all the things. And it's like, it's like that. And and that's where you get to with meditation. But it doesn't like once you get that, you don't have to keep going back to it. And it's like, once you recognize deeply that you're not what you think you are ever, like the idea you settle upon is never the idea of you. Your brain can never actually know you and you clearly see that it's going to come and go the clarity of that recognition but once it's there it doesn't fully ever go away but until you get there you think you need all this stuff you think you need meditation you need all the practices all the fucking training wheels and whatnot but once you know how to ride a two-wheeler you're like i i mean i could put training wheels back on but i don't have to and as you wobble on the two wheels, you catch your balance. Maybe you fall off, but that doesn't mean you forgot how to ride a two-wheeler. You can still hop back on and ride it because I'd way rather ride a two-wheeler than a fucking bike with training wheels or a, or a tricycle. And so although you may fall off the two-wheeler, you get back on. You don't go back to back to training wheels just because you lost you know, a little bit of balance on the two-wheeler. But it's interesting when people settle upon that as being like, like the end all be all, like all that is good and holy and the, the end of the road being that meditation. And it's just, you know, another way to recognize that you're not what you think you are. That's all it is. I was just listening to you then and thinking, what is meditation in practice but clarity? So, you know, if you think about what meditation is as a practice, you're you're actively subbing into this idea of just being with what is and letting thoughts come and go and not attaching yourself to any of them and just focusing on your breathing and experiencing that moment, albeit with your eyes closed and probably stationary, which is hard for me to be. But um, you, you then transpose that into a mindset. And I was just thinking then, like, you know, moments of chaos, be that attaching to emotions or um, an idea of yourself, getting swept away in media like I one of my favorite 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 things to do of all time ever which you'll both know so well because I just harass you with music recommendations is is to listen to music and um in that process I'm I'm totally devoid of experiencing my reality in the sense that I have headphones in and I'm getting carried away in other people's ideas of of what reality is and um what it means to have an ego and and experience humanity and um 
in the reverse, the moments where you're not actually actively tapped into a media source or conversation, albeit with, you know, with yourself or somebody else or an actual task and you're just on autopilot, is that not meditative? Is that not meditation in real time? And so I think in answer to your ultimate question, is meditation a good thing? I think it has its place. I think as a practice, it offers you the perspective of there's uh, the perspective that there's different ways to to operate, um, subbing in and out of an idea of yourself, subbing in and out of an idea of a narrative. And then once you actually relinquish the compulsion to actively practice yoga as a as a pastime, as opposed to just like be yoga in those moments where you're not trying to get anywhere or do anything or attach yourself, then yeah, I think meditation's rad because being meditative is being clear. I love how you put that because that's absolutely the case that you can just be doing and you are basically meditating, you know, to do is to be that kind of thing. But I, I think the problem is, is that often people make the mistake that because there is the experience of unpacking your perception that happens in a state of meditation, that it's the same as self-reflection. And so they almost get attached to the process of self-reflection, thinking that they're digging at more and more and more of themselves rather than the process of letting that self go. And so they end up getting stuck, as it were. Meditation becomes something that meditation really isn't. It becomes what Alan Watts was talking about. You know, if you're meditating for a point, you are not actually meditating, right? So I think it's interesting because if the entire point of this is the questioning of what you think you are, when you take that far enough, at first it starts being who you think you are. It starts becoming all of the things that you identify with and all of that. But after a certain point, you actually start getting to the deeper end of the rabbit hole where even the question of internal versus external needs to be questioned. And if you are attached to meditation, it's typically because you're looking at that as an internal world. And so it is in, in itself a, a type of false certainty. There is no internal and external. The fact that you still need to go internally to deal with these things is a bit of an addiction to your perception of what is and your perception of yourself. Because once you start to question everything, that includes everything. Reality itself, the experience that you're having. And so life is that state of flow. There is no in internal or external. It's always you. Nothing has changed. That's why I like how you put it, Alexandra, about hiding from the world. It's very much the ostrich approach to dealing with reality. Yeah, just shoving your shoving your head in, in the sand like that is uh, is funny. And and beyond that, it's very much a label that people cling to. Like if you see yourself as a meditator, you're seeing yourself as something that isn't everything, and and you're settling upon that as you can be just as much a hindrance as literally any other label. It's just another opportunity to continue to avoid the depth of the recognition that comes with realizing that you're just here now. That's the extent. There is no thing that is required in order to more clearly see that. Like It, it very much can be just to continue on the, the harping on meditation train, it can be a, a opportunity to let go of some of the things, but eventually you get to a place where you let go of that too, being a necessity. And yeah, everything, because 
meditation has its limitations to which it can help you. And eventually there is a point where it's like you keep kind of button up against the wall of meditation. And you realize that there's so much more depth to your experience through just living life. And that becomes it. Like there's so much more to learn about yourself beyond sitting quietly in a room with your eyes closed. And that's when you find out, you know, what you're capable of. Like you can be in that sort of state of hibernation for a time period, a couple minutes a day for a number of years, you can spend doing it as, as I did for a very long time. But then, you know, you start, there's a limit to that. And then, you know, you start doing shit with that. You start doing shit with those recognitions and then even more unravels than you could have fathomed when you were only existing inside of, you know, your mind and letting go of the thoughts that you keep clinging to. It's like there, there are practices out there to learn that, uh, that meditation just can't quite get you there. I think a fundamental one is that meditation is only informed by your chaos. There is no shortcut. There is no one simple trick. Doctors do not hate her. You have to be unclear. You have to go participate as you were just saying for meditation to even provide you that perspective. Um, you know, I've never been strictly interested in hermeticism. I think I put a YouTube video on once when I was 16, um, to be edgy and probably post about it on my Tumblr and I never actually finished it. But what I understand, I actually don't think I understand it contextually, but I do fundamentally agree with this concept of like as above, so below, as within the universe, so within the soul. I don't believe in souls in that fake news as well, but um, <laughs> uh, but you cannot, you cannot gain anything from meditation if you don't then fall out of meditative practices. So it, you know, yes, you're right in the sense that you can step away from your chaos and experience meditation and then start to unravel yourself as such. But I think one of the one of the pitfalls of um of being human, <laughs> the pitfalls, uh, is that it's not really the question isn't what the ever the ever deepening question isn't what, but the ever deepening question is why. Um, and that's really bothersome and thank God, because what else are we doing? But, um, it's really bothersome because the idea of of borrowing into why can ultimately really reinforce this idea that there is a why, because there is a, a bottom to your limitlessness. Um, and that's, again, something that I really love about dualistic unity is we're always going, what, what idea of you, what reality, what God, as opposed to why is God? Why is suffering? Why am I like this? Why can't I make my bed in the morning? What is this compulsion to make your bed in the morning? That's beautiful. I got to say, that's the best description of dualistic unity I think we've had yet, because that's the point. Thank God we go around in circles. You know, you once said, oh, there's a person um, who questioned you know, if we're not certain on anything, then how are you certain about that? And you refer to, to it as a dog chasing its tail, but like let the dog chase its fucking tail. What else am I doing? What else am I doing? Pissing and moaning about traffic? Like, good, actually. How funny. I love that. You complain about the traffic like you're not part of it yourself. You are the traffic. But what else? What else am I doing? That is to be human. If I wasn't participating, if I wasn't pissing and moaning, if I wasn't waxing and waning in and out of my ego, what would I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be participating. 
I'm not saying that you should settle on an idea naturally, but it's kind of fun to step in and out of it in a really, in a masochistic way. I think it's necessary. I really do. I, I talk to my daughter about this all the time and my wife because we're parents. And of course, the ego immediately has an idea of what's best for your child based on its own preferences and fears and all of that other fun stuff and the life that you've went through. And then there's the realization that people are growing organic beings that are going to go through the duality of existence. And that should inform them, not my idea of what that should be. Right. And so there was a period where my daughter was on TikTok all the time, all the time. And my wife got concerned about it. And she tried saying like, well, let's limit her time. Let's do all that. And my argument was we learn about the cost of indulgence through indulgence. We have to go overboard to recognize when we're unbalanced. And so rather than interfere, I let my daughter go, let, let her use TikTok as much as she wanted. And I think it took about three months for her to go kind of getting bored of this. Whereas I, if I had gotten in between, she would have never had the opportunity to have that experience and organically grow from it. She would have stayed away from TikTok because of me and then gotten on there as often as she could to spite me or whatever it might be. Like it wouldn't be the lesson that it was, which was her lesson, her lesson based on the path that she was on. wasn't based on what I think was best for her. It's funny you say that. Um, it's two directions I want to go in. One is that the ego is a child and two that, the most important lessons can only be learned the hard way. But I, I suppose you effectively just said that really. Um, but I was having this thought the other day that you, you form an ego in early childhood. When you really start to attach to your name, I posit perhaps the time at which you have to start writing it. You go to school and how do you write your name? How do you spell your name? I am Alexandra. I am five. I'm incredibly misbehaved. I like the color black, you know, um, <laughs> reminiscing on, uh, five-year-old me there and and you start to form these really hard and fast ideas of yourself and then you just reinforce them reinforce them reinforce them and then you're surprised at the age of 28 when you're still throwing tantrums because your parents tell you not to swear how could you and I'm an adult and don't you recognize my autonomy and you should just love me for me and um, I'm definitely reverbing an argument I had with my parents last week and <laughs> and you realize when you are in a more emotionally regulated state that, or at least I did, that not only is your ego this idea of yourself um, and not only is the ego not master in its own house, to quote Freud, but the ego is a fucking child. Like the ego is an eight-year-old. The ego is the all-assumptive, um, entitled, polar, immature side of you it's not this great demon it's not this like omnipotent esoteric oh my god why does this exist it's just your inner child and i think it's killer because it really reinforms this idea of what it means to like love your inner child absolutely and and just even to to tie those two points together a bit because i deal with the same stuff with family friends or whatever telling me what i you know, shouldn't shouldn't post on the internet and you know, there there were times when I would do that, I would have a very similar reaction, kind of freak out. And then I would think to myself in more of a state of clarity, I shouldn't have done that. Like, oh, I, I wish I hadn't done that. But if I had not done that, I wouldn't have recognized the consequences in myself from doing that. 
And so doing that is almost part of it too. And being willing to go through that and find out, you know, learning the hard way. If you came at it from this, like, all right, I'm a meditator now and I'm spiritual and I don't react to anyone and I'm very calm all the time. It's like this, like, uh, weird resistance and tension inside of you because you really want to fucking react and kind of explode sometimes. And and if you're hindering that, you don't find out why you actually don't have to do that. But allowing yourself, understanding there is no should, there's no right way, you start to feel that, you do it. And, you know, not to say like go crazy berserk, but, you know, yell, argue a little bit, deal with it. But then you get to a point, you know, you do that a few times and you're like, start to see other options. You're like, okay, I've tried that way. That way didn't, didn't quite do what I thought it was going to be or do what I thought it was going to do. Let's try another way and then find out. And then, you know, okay, find another way, try another way, try another way. And you keep trying. And then it's like, you kind of, it's, that's the process of the pendulum swinging back and forth, but we get very caught up, you know, with the idea of ourselves, especially if we start going into the spiritual side of stuff as being non-reactive, be non-reactive and non-judgmental. And then that's just an idea. And you don't find out why it actually doesn't make sense to. And even through understanding that, finding out doesn't mean you still can't. You get to a point that it's like, okay, yeah, but I'm eternal. And like, I kind of want to fuck around right now. And <laughs> find out a little bit. And then you do that anyway. But there's this weird, like, resistance to acting in that way that doesn't allow you to actually drop it. It's like this uh, idea of dropping it or caught up in the the narrative, like I should drop this. And now I have dropped it, but it's still there until you find out why you don't actually need it. And then it's like actually dropped. And then sometimes you just pick it up for the fuck of it because it's fun. But yeah, it's finding out. Even this idea of like, I've dropped it, like that's fake news because all of your ideas are fake news in the sense that none of them are true. And so they're just going to keep coming around. I, I often um, describe my thoughts um, somewhere between a, a randomized thought generation machine and a sushi train. So like it's entirely, the, the question funnily enough is why for once it's not, what is coming out of this randomized sushi train, but it's like, why am I picking those plates? Why am I jumping on that idea? Because they're never going away. They're never going away. Because they were, they, that menu was written down when you were like five. This is how things go. This is how things should be. This is who I am. This is what I'm capable of. And it, it, I'm just going to beat down on children for a second. Isn't it hilarious? <laughs> just punch right down. Uh, at some point, maybe once maybe twice if you're if you're really misfortunate more but not that many times someone told you you can't do that you're incapable you're inadequate and you bought it again like you know you're five so there's a lot of compassion there but you bought it and that has written the rest of your life you know like I when I was a kid I was like a very precocious and I listened to pop punk from the age of like eight and um, that was not vogue um, <laughs> to say the least and I would um, I ran with it so hard and fast because at that point you hadn't quite built up this super thick ego and I would just get knocked over all the time because it wasn't cool like it was um, 
I think I was about three years behind the trend at that time. And so it wasn't on the radio. And I had people tell me over and over, like, you're a fucking weirdo. Like, you're a loser. Like, what are you listening to? Why do you like that? And uh, and it stuck, which is so ironic because the whole counterculture of, like, punk or, like, post-punk emo, screamo, et cetera, is all about, like, disagreeing with the status quo. But it's still reinforcing an idea of yourself. So it's still, you know, fragile as any ego is. But um yeah at some at some point I bought that and it's dictated the rest of my life like that's my fault that's entirely my fault I'm not beating down on eight-year-old me but I'm saying that fault's a tricky word all words are loaded and pregnant and uh we just try our best don't we um it was me let's say I'm taking responsibility for me and I'm not beating down on an eight-year-old but the fact is I did do that I bought that hype sometime a long time ago someone insulted me a few times and I just decided that was the truth and that was my limitation and that was something I subconsciously was hindered by. And it's just so funny to think statistically, like how many times have I been told no or not got what I wanted and I haven't settled on that, I haven't picked that sushi, that platter off the sushi train. Um, And, yeah, write it off to like immaturity and the fact that I hadn't done many rings around the sun at the time, you know, but the fact is I did, I did, I bought that idea. I picked that platter and I keep picking that platter and it's like, guy, oh, you know, this tastes bad. You know, you don't like it, but it is all me. That's interesting because we pick up stuff all the time. Like our brain is processing so much all the time. It's not just things that are said to us. It's things that are said to other people. Sometimes it's not even things that are said. Like we just pick up kind of the implied tone of reality and where you sit amongst all that. You don't even have to necessarily have somebody come and tell you, you don't fit in. Sometimes it's communicated just by the fact that you don't necessarily think the same way as everybody else. So it settles in. It it makes me think that, see, it's funny because you were saying that the ego is basically a child. And what's interesting is that the more egotistical we are, typically the more childish we act, right? And it's because children are absolutely attached to their ego. They're literally growing it. It's something that they're fully invested in as a way of dealing with the world and protecting themselves and doing all that. And so the process of growing up is the process of lessening your attachment to the ego. That's really all it is. It's using it, it's taking shit in, and it's going, right, but that's not me, over and over and over again. So the fact that you're looking at this one particular sushi boat and saying, you know, I keep picking it up, okay. But the fact that you're aware that you're picking it up is another way for you to look at this. Like, instead of adding to the weight of, oh, Christ, I keep doing it. You're like, right, but I'm aware I'm doing it. That's a step. Right. And it changes the direction. It changes your trajectory because you've you've lessened the weight. Again, you're not adding to the narrative of I keep picking this up. You're disempowering that narrative. Right. I find that to be really important because there comes a point where you're going to recognize, as you were saying, your brain's never going to stop comparing. It's never going to stop thinking. The train is going to continue to go forever. You don't have to pay attention to it because it was never reflective of you and your value, right? But that's the process of growing up. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves more intelligent because we have the capacity to be more intelligent because we're not so fucking distracted. That's really it. You know, so I want to ask Alexandra because you're quite an intelligent person. And, and I understand that what I just said is probably going to make you uncomfortable. Your immediate reaction is going to be, no, I'm not. What are you talking about? There's lots of other intelligent people. So on, I guess my question is this. From your experience in in going through life, learning things, 
indulging one direction or the other, learning some balance over the course of going up and down through you know the highs and lows and so on and so forth, you've recognized that it's important to lose your balance in order to gain your balance. Would you agree then that the current habit or pattern that you are attached to of self-deprecating, of still thinking about yourself to any degree, is in fact going to inform the freedom on the other side as you continue through it? And would you say that I am accurate in my judgment that you are on your way in that trajectory, considering you continue to have this conversation and that you are willing to question that idea and that attachment? So does my self-deprecation inform my my freedom? Is that what you're effectively asking me? Of course it does. I think it it informs it, at least in my personal journey, heavily because, um, as I said earlier, it's it's been my business model for a long time. My MO has always been you can't shit on me if I shit on me first. And it's because I'm scared of trying and failing. And so I would rather tell you that I'm not going to try just undersell and over deliver. And um, the very fact that I use the word I that many times in the sentence just tells you how it's going to inform my freedom because I have so much to say about I. Um, and what is, what is freedom for perspective? Because the fact is we're going to do this and we do this now and for forever and I'm not going to do this because that seems a little bleak, but the fact is we are eternal. Um, and I don't know where I go once my heart stops beating. We can speak at length about the ship of Theseus and what it is to exist in reality, et cetera. But um, I would say the dance between um, my idea of myself and, and reality is, is in perpetual motion. Maybe it's a wave because I like that it's moving away as opposed to just in a loop, albeit the infinity loop. Um and so what, what is my freedom, but my dance, what, what is my freedom, but just riding that wave? I think true freedom is having the courage to see things through. And, um, without getting too specific, there's been many times in my life that I landed on an idea and a destination you know, geographically, um, age-wise, time-wise, and I, this is my number, my number's up. This is it for me. And um, and despite my best efforts, I was wrong every time. And so I think freedom from myself and in turn my self-deprecation is is in the courage to, to see things out to the end, to just keep going. Um, like Rilke said, uh, beauty and terror just keep going, no feelings final. And um, so long as I don't ever land on a final feeling or a final destination or a final age, before my number's up, I think that is true freedom. And it's going to involve separate self-deprecation the whole way. And I will fall in and out of it. And I will laugh at myself every time. And half a luck that I even get to experience that in a turmoil. I like what you were saying about freedom there because, and I know this from somebody who habitually self-deprecated and even went so far as self-loathing for a very long time, um, that it stops influencing you as much. It's not that you're running from it. It's that you recognize it and you recognize that it's not the truth any more than the other end. And as you start to recognize that, you find more of that middle balance in between. But just like the conversation that we were having about intrusive thoughts, 
at one point, I find it so very interesting that these self-deprecating thoughts, if they weren't there, you would be an arrogant asshole to some degree. And so one has to ask, are these self-deprecating thoughts, in fact, somehow allowing you to balance out what could be arrogance so that way you can have more empathy as you crawl your way out of it? Perhaps the shift is the shift in perception about why the self-deprecation is happening entirely. And you start to have a little bit more fun with it. You don't, because we still so often, as much as we can recognize, you know, that there is no certainty, there is no, you know, good or bad. And and certainly comes back to the idea of ourself. We still have this perspective a lot of times that something that's happening or something that we're doing is wrong. And so we resist that. And we think that, you know, okay, this shouldn't be happening, but I'm accepting it as something about myself, right? It's like, we still hold on to that idea that it shouldn't be happening despite accepting it. And I, I think it's more so the accepting of it and the letting go of thinking that that thing is wrong despite your acceptance. Because acceptance of it, you can still maintain the idea of it being wrong. And that's, again, settling upon a false certainty in thinking that because as much as you know we don't know what's good or bad like we don't know out of those things where it's going to lead to or what it's going to come to or what it is is actually doing like we still so often settle upon these things and certain things as being wrong like people will say you know you got to accept all sides of yourself the good and the bad the the right and the wrong it's like okay how about we just let go of the idea that any of it is wrong or any of any of it is bad or any of it is good or any of it is right how would we just drop all of that and and it's it's a different thing and i've never i've uh i've thought about it but i i don't know it's hitting me differently today that that acceptance through acceptance we can still cling to the idea that it shouldn't be but we don't know that either and so understanding that is like another layer gets peeled back and then you're just sitting in it. And it's like, yeah, you keep going through the loop of eternity, but you understand that there's nothing wrong with the things that you're going through or the things that have happened or the things that you're clinging to or the things that you're trying to let go of. It's like you can stop trying to let go of them and just let go of your idea that there's something wrong and there's something to fix and there's ever something to change. That is the most beautiful full circle I think I've ever seen you do. And I've bore witness to a lot of them. You know, you have so many, so many great pithies. Like um, the only thing wrong with you is the idea you think there's something wrong with you, but to see you actually do that quantum loop. I'm not, I'm not saying this from the sideline as a proud mother. I'm just saying this as an earnest compliment. You know, I'm not, <laughs> it's, that's fucking beautiful. Acceptance is still tethered to this idea of yourself that, that things were meant to be any other way. Oh, just, that was wonderful. Oh, it's very freeing at the end of the day. I find it so very interesting that the more I let go of really needing anything, of thinking there's anything I should do or anything that that's the right answer or, or anything that's more or less aware or enlightened, any of that, the more I find reality really is just this fluid, ongoing, not lesson, but experience 
in how vast you are in terms of potential. It really is just continuing on and watching things happen without you being in there judging yourself going maybe that's not the right thing oh, god i need to get more and 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 all of that there's so much stress and tension that goes in that that of course it feels like life is slapping us in the face we have no fluidity we have no ability to adapt because we're so rigid about what we think we're supposed to be doing we think it raises our or lowers our value so of course we're rigid there's a lot riding on it i was just thinking as you were saying that and it, it... I guess backing up what Andrew said, like how you think about, you know, you asked me earlier, like, who are you? And in my head, I was like scientist, comedian, poet, dickhead, terrorist, you know, um, legal professional, depending on who you're asking. And none of them are true in the sense that they're all true. Like I'm sure at certain times, my parents would definitely agree with the title of terrorist. And um <laughs> I know I readily agree with the title of comedian and I know that um, I would say I'm going to try not to be too inappropriate here. <laughs> I know, unfortunately, I have to censor myself in the name of um, self-preservation, but I uh, would just say that, you know, there's even this idea of who you are and how you should be isn't... Uh, isn't limited to you you know how you have ideas of how other people should be and who they are and I don't think that any of them are incorrect in the sense that all of them are possible because by what definition and according to who and in what context and when and if it is the case now will it always be and therefore nothing inherently is because everything's possible and what a joy this whole thing is so fucking preposterous at all but um yeah <laughs> just being able to like you said just laugh your way through the whole thing and accept that there is if if it should have been it could have been it would have been because everything perfectly how it should be right now not that there is a should but following that logic and so if you can just laugh at the fact that you ever attach yourself to an idea that you ever get it wrong that you ever get it you ever get it right you know the, the greatest learning is from your fuck-ups I love this idea of like I just want to be right why where does that get you sweet nowhere you just body your ego. I don't need to do that. <laughs> That's really low hanging fruit. And you're getting in your own way, making it harder and harder to learn. And that that's staying on the ball right there. Everything you just said, that's staying on the ball. And it's not with a concern. It's 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 the recognition that you can't fall off, basically. So every time you get concerned about staying on the ball, it's like you're still on the ball, but you're thinking that you're not. So it's letting go of that idea that you're not on it. And and when you're striving to be on the ball, it's like it's, you're standing on the ball thinking you're off the ball. You're still on the ball. And so it's that constant process. And so it's that constant questioning, because if you're if you're settling upon an answer, settling upon something, it's like not on the ball, like the answers aren't on the ball because the ball is uncertainty. And so if you're settling upon an answer it's like you're on the ball but you're still on the ball but you have the perspective that you're off the ball and whose ball right whose ball is it your ego's ball is it the ball of reality like you might be on the ball in your eyes in your mind when you're like landing or something you think fuck yeah i nailed that and then the road to hell is paved with good intentions and you completely miss the mark because there is no mark <laughs> but <laughs> the mark according to who and round we go and 
in this rather perpetual motion. We sink in and out of it. But you're right. They're like, I actually completely agree with you. <laughs> because there is these two considerations in my mind that are always going on. There is the experience that you're having. And then there's what is happening. And so we're talking about like being on the ball or what is meant to be, right? Well, that's very different than the experience of being on the ball. Like you can say, well, whether you feel like you're on the ball or not, you're on the ball. It's like, great. So being on the ball means everything in my life is going to shit. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, and it's just that your experience is distorting what would otherwise happen, which might actually be more opportunities for your life not to go to shit, but that's it is that there is this weird contradictory paradox where you're always on the ball but your experience of that changes according to how much you let go and i find that so very fun because at this point now well dualistic unity right that's where we're at for me in terms of just letting go of that of the idea that there is a ball to be on and now we see the community growing. We see this conversation happening, things like that. And very much like this conversation as a whole. Like when we walked into the conversation, there was very much an air of, shit, is there a certain way that we're supposed to act here? Is there is there a certain conversation that we're supposed to be having? And now we're at this point where it's like, ah, fuck it, we're just going to talk. And that's the point. That's where the conversation actually starts taking off. That's where we start getting more out of it. And I use the word learn because you could easily say adapt, I guess. The more you're paying attention, the more you're going to adapt. Right. And we could say you're learning, but really you're just being yourself in a more fundamental form, in a more uh, full or, or whole form. Right. The more you're paying attention, the more you're being yourself, which is being more aligned with reality. And so the experience becomes more fluid. That's pretty much it. But pay attention to what? Oh, there's no what. Ego, you're always. You're always paying attention because it's redundant what you pay attention to. It's like there is no non-existence, right? It's like there's no way to not pay attention. It's always being paid. But Ray, when you said uh, there is no ball, I got that like trippy feeling because <laughs> I was I was still settling upon that as I was talking, and it's like yes, the I stand by what I was what I was saying, but then it's like you get to a point and it's like the ball gets pulled. <laughs> and that's when i go into fucking like feeling like i'm tripping uh because there's no longer i i had i was still holding on to something and it's like whoop. ray's like let me take that like but oh the best boy. part is it's actually you you're just walking around with a ball because it's a ball on a chain and then you're just yanking it and then you're going oh fuck i fell off and it's like it's you you did that ray didn't do that and again why not well yeah because what are you going to learn if you're on the ball that is existence that is humanity like clarity is punctuated by chaos i will tell you nothing makes me happier than the feeling of, of being challenged and being threatened and you know doubting myself and going through all that stuff because there i have things that i can dig at there's an experience there to be had i mean those moments where it's just quiet and calm are great but as you said in contrast Right. In contrast, the fact is all moments are great, depending on your perspective of them, depending on your level of involvement with them, you know, in terms of attention, what are you paying attention to? Right. Because that's going to largely dictate the size of your experience. Right. If you're focusing or if you're paying attention to a very small concept of yourself, that is going to dictate the size of your experience. <laughs> Whereas if you're just paying attention, I've often talked about it in terms of like being the difference of being in a cave with a floodlight where you're focused on one little thing at a time or turning off the light and letting your eyes adapt so you can see the whole room, 
that's what I mean by attention, right? Like we are attention, but how much are we narrowing that down? How much are we focusing that on a single particular direction versus just awareness as a whole? Have you ever heard the saying, um, stupid people discuss people, average people discuss events, uh, intelligent people discuss ideas? I've not. Yeah. I think I have before, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess it kind of just suits our narrative right now, so I'll run with it. But uh, I, I don't know that I can't play God and say, like, what quality of um, experience people can have, whether or not they're involved in themselves or not and to, and to what extent but um i guess following that logic of smart people discussing ideas it it, it tracks it if you just get away from this idea of yourself and, and paying attention to yourself so much rather then you can actually start to <clears throat> i'm seeing the flaw in my logic as i say this out loud but um I don't even want to finish my sentence. It, it, I guess it would track logically that if you can get away from this idea from yourself, you can discuss ideas and ideas is the best idea ever and yet is the best topic ever. And yet, ironically, I, uh, ideas, philosophy, isms and istics, et cetera, everything that we ever study is entirely punctuated by the human experience. Ego, you cannot understand an idea without reference to yourself and thus my entire logic is flawed. Perfectly timed, actually. I just want to say in regards to the episode of Dualistic Unity Raw that we recorded this morning, which I think is going to be episode 37, where we were talking about an insight I had in real time during that episode, which is very much that we keep assuming it's about the idea and we keep forgetting it's about the people who use it. It's about the people who are putting it to use in any way, shape or form, whether it's the car or, or, or you know, splitting the atom or anything. Right. It's not about the idea. And yet it's almost easier to just focus on the idea. Like if we just had the right idea, everything would be fine. Like somehow it, it takes away from everybody's free will. Right. And that's it. But it is easier. It's, it's like a false comfort. Again, it's like believing, well, if we just had a police force, everything would be fair. Right. And it's just one of those things like I just so desperately want to believe it. And so I do. Yeah. And there's no so there's no right idea of yourself. And until you let that idea drop, it's the only idea that you can consider, or it's the only way that you can see reality through is through the lens of the idea of you. And, and beyond that are ideas going back to Alexander's point of, you know, intelligent people discuss ideas. I think non-egotistical people have the ability or the capacity to discuss ideas because they're not veiled by the idea of themselves. And until that mm -hmm. veil drops, you can't really talk about much i mean you can but it's always through the idea of yourself which really only ever comes down to your opinions your preferences your judgments and all of those things so you can't really adequately discuss ideas or adequately discuss reality because it's being filtered through the idea of you so you can but there's going to be like you still are but there's a difference when you're so caught up in proving yourself driving home your narrative and reinforcing your narrative because you think that's where your value comes from. And until you let that go, once you let that go, you can actually discuss things for what they are, not pushed and pulled so much by your preferences, by your opinions, because until then you're clinging to those. And those are at the forefront of all of your conversations because that's what keeps 
That's what you think keeps you alive because you think you're an idea. And that's what keeps your idea of yourself alive. So until you drop those, you can't really discuss what's happening. Yeah, two thoughts. One is we yeah, we love a we love a quick whip, don't we? We love a one-liner. Not we, I mean like humanity, society. Like who's that? But anyway, um the the notion of having a singular phrase that can encapsulate such a, a complex conversation um is preposterous and hilarious and I love it and we do it anyway all the time because it just it relates back to structure which is what we all seek from the molecule right up to the meat sack and the brain um and community but anyway uh it 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 doesn't cut it does it does not cut the mustard and that's why you need to have an ongoing conversation hence the utility of dualistic unity absolutely absolutely because you may have noticed I'm really quite good at the one-liners like I'm great at putting words together and making them sound real nice and, and you know, profound and insightful. And you're just like, yeah, that's awesome. And it would be super dangerous if it wasn't for the fact that I regularly make it clear that I'm also a prick. <laughs> I don't know if the two counterbalance each other. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. Um, but I, I, I think what you're nodding to is the fact that you don't have Jesus status and you readily remind people of that by being, one with us and being rude which is so ironic because again jesus meant to be was meant to be one with us and i don't want to go down that track because i think religion's stupid but he hung out with thieves and criminals in general like he really was nobody says what he was like in those moments but could you imagine being all like i'm here for you brothers in a crowd of people who don't give a fuck because they're trying to survive like i think that whole perspective of jesus is totally askew i i picture jesus chilling out going get me a beer how are you motherfuckers doing you know very much like uh scott gazzoli when he comes on to the podcast he's like how you doing boys like that's how i see jesus being a human being i see jesus being human and feeling emotions and being a social chameleon in whatever was the appropriate response to the person. When he said, let me teach you to be a fisher of men, that's what he was talking about. He wasn't like, here, let me teach you to be a pompous asshole. That's not what he was trying to say. He was saying, let's be human together. You know, I'm the son of man. He wasn't ever trying to put himself up on a pedestal. And I think that that is the most appropriate view of Jesus. It's the reason my favorite Jesus story is when he went in the temple and he whipped the taxpayers. Not had a small argument with them. He like booted over their table and he whipped those motherfuckers until they were out of the temple. Tell me that's a calm person. That is a person who is still dealing with their shit. That's what that is. That's someone who should listen to Eckhart Tolle because they clearly have a lot to learn and they should really hone in on their meditative practices and I'm actually really concerned about them. Agreed. Jesus hated meditation. Yeah. And then he would have found God way sooner and he wouldn't have had to die. But something you said earlier, which was rad, I often think about this like idea of uh, splitting your ego and this separatism between uh, this, this polar this polar approach towards your ego and your true self as opposed to this dualistic approach wherein the two coexist. Um, <clears throat> trying to split yourself and your ego is just like trying to split the atom. Like it's, it's impossible. And, uh, and as we were saying the other day, uh, at a molecular level, um, our molecules will always seek the most um, the most safe structure. Like we will always return to that unity. You cannot you cannot split what is. The two can only ever coexist, and we will always revert back to that state. And we'll always revert back to that state of identity, and we'll always wax and wane between this idea of well, I, I am not, I am. <laughs> um, 
and it would be impossible for it to be any other way, at least in perpetuity, because nothing stays the same, which is such an ironic statement to make, but... It's well said, and that's the thing is, I think it takes a certain degree of strength and clarity to understand these things and to be in the shit. I think it's so very tempting to take all of these concepts and these insights and, you know, these profound little messages and separate yourself and go somewhere quiet so you can sit and bask in how one you're feeling with yourself and all of that. And you can do that, but at some point you got to leave the mountaintop. This is why my favorite story is about the dude who left to go in search of enlightenment at the top of a mountain. He's like, I'm not coming back until I have found enlightenment. So he goes up and he's gone for years. Finally, he's like, yes, I've mastered it. He's totally at peace. He has no problems with himself whatsoever. He comes down the mountain, he talks to one person, gets pissed off and goes straight back up. And the problem was the fact that he went straight back up instead of recognizing that that silence is a part of it where you can find your balance, you can find your grounding. But it isn't until you do the other part, which is the application, the real world stuff of being in the shit where you get to see whether or not you really know it. Because it's one thing to say, we're all one. It's one thing to say, I'm not what I think. It's another thing to do that as somebody is yelling at you for not doing the job that they expected you to do when you have to pay rent. To not take that seriously, to not take that personally, that's the work. That's the work. That is the only place it really, it really settles in. And this is very much the reason that I invited you onto the show, Alexandra, is because you know so much in terms of useless trivia, quote unquote, for anybody who's listening, I was just quoting around useless trivia. And yet it's not useless. You've, you've picked it up. It's just that it's very contradictory to your day-to-day -day experience. And so you are somewhere in the middle of that, trying to reconcile how they're so fucking separate and yet they're still the same thing. And that process took me fucking 15 years. It took me 15 years. If you look back at that video of me from 2005, you can see I'm just spinning in it. It's all concepts, it's all shit. And I'm weighing it against the realization that I'm not any of it. And so it's all trying to distill. And I respect that process. When I see somebody in the shit, I see it and I'm like, that's it. That's exactly what you need to do. It's not about memorizing it. It's not about believing it. It's not about constantly focusing on it. It's about balancing it out as you live in the real world. And so I just want to say thank you so much for being here, being a part of our community, for joining us in today's episode, because this has been just a fantastic conversation. And admittedly, I understand what it's like to go on to an episode of another podcast and think to yourself, shit, what am I going to talk about? Especially when you don't tend to boost yourself up as a person. Because as Andrew said, you're not thinking to yourself like, yeah, you're welcome. Glad to be here, right? It would never dawn on you to do that. That's important. It says a lot about you as a person and where you are on the journey. And so I appreciate everything that this episode has been and everything that you've brought to it. I'm going to pass it to Andrew and shut the fuck up. Yeah, just to echo everything that Ray said, I appreciate you coming on. And I appreciate this, you know, everything you add to not only this conversation, but everything on Patreon and everything you bring to the table, because you got a lot that you're bringing to the table, no matter what your opinion of what you're bringing to the table is, it's a lot. And there was a lot in this episode, I think, that 
a lot of people are going to resonate with. Um, and I appreciate you being willing to come on and, and chat with us. And it's been a blast. And I love going in and out of all of these conversations and concepts. I'm glad we were able to harp on meditation a bit because we, we were, I don't know, there was some stuff earlier today that we were going through on Patreon and it's, it's an interesting conversation, but I think we, uh, we circled around it pretty well. So I appreciate you dancing around that with us and looking forward to the next time we chat probably sometime this week on Patreon. Yeah, I hope so. Thank you so much for having me. I um, appreciate the opportunity to dance with you guys. And I'm not privy to this conversation about meditation, but I so look forward to reading this ex post facto and seeing who um, are potentially offended because that sounds funny, to be honest. I am more than happy to take the credit for how this conversation happened. Absolutely. Uh, that's it for today, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you on Patreon. If you would like to reach out to Alexandra, do join us on Patreon. You can also find her in the Discord. She is always willing to offer her advice or insight. Do keep in mind that it will always come with a little bit of forced humility uh, because otherwise, again, she might turn into an asshole. So we're very grateful for the self-deprecation as long as it lasts, because it will eventually disappear as it does with everybody on this path. When you start recognizing that you're not the person that you're tearing down. So thanks so much and take care. Bye everyone. Hey guys. <laughs>